This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. I want you to look with me now in James chapter 4, and I want to call your attention to verse number 15 because this is where we have tonight will be about five Wednesday nights. We have uh, continued the study in verse number 15, and it says, For that you ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. And from this one verse, we're talking about how to know God's will, knowing exactly what God wills for your life because he does have a personal plan and purpose for each one of us. The word says we are wonderfully made. Each and every one of us have been wonderfully made and crafted and created in the image of God. God has a purpose, a different purpose for each and every one of us. I'm thankful tonight that there there is diversity within the body of Christ because uh, it would not be uh, very good if everybody just did the same thing. I think church life could get pretty monotonous if that's what was happening. But because so many people are gifted behind the scenes doing so many different things, uh, it does um, help us to have collective corporate worship together. And, and I'm grateful for that. Trying to find out what God's will for your life is, and we spent some time on a particular Wednesday night talking about the various aspects, the different types of God's will. And I hope you wrote those things down in reference to those uh, occasionally to stay up on that. Somebody asked me a long time ago, how does one find God's will for your life? How does one really come to know that? And uh, I took some time in giving you uh, some simple ways of seeking God's will for your life. And you might have wrote these down. I'm going to give them to you real quick again. If you didn't get them on that particular study night, uh, you might want to write them down again tonight. If you missed one, maybe you can catch up here. Those of you that are watching at home, I ask you to do the same thing. But one of the best ways to know God's will is to continue to seek him in prayer, communion with him in prayer. Uh, that Every one of us ought to have a prayer life. We, we need a prayer life. We need the daily communicate with God. And I do pray that you are doing that. The second thing I mentioned was studying and searching God's word. Um, you might have not yet started a personal daily devotional study, or I would say maybe you don't have a devotional life with the Lord. I would definitely encourage you to do that, is to have a designated time where you are reading God's word, you're studying God's word and putting uh, an effort into that. You would be surprised of the knowledge that you would learn on a personal basis if you, if you gave a certain amount of time every day to study in God's word. But okay, so you, you spend time, quality time in prayer, and you spend time studying and searching uh, the word of God. The third thing is this, and this is where we get a little sluggish. Uh, because it's like, it's like um, if I could pick a story from the Word, maybe 
uh, in Acts chapter 9 when Saul of Tarsus was traveling on the Damascus Road. And do you remember his mission at that point in time was to persecute Christians, persecute the church. And I'm telling you today, we're, we're beginning to see right now a rise in the persecution of Christianity. You haven't seen anything of like what's coming down the road, but we are living in the days now, right now, because I do believe that we're in the end time, we're in the last of the last days. And Jesus said prior to his return, there would be great suffering on the earth, great persecution. And we are entering into a phase of this that we never thought that we could possibly imagine in our lifetime that would happen. But I stay pretty much in tune with some current events and the way things are happening and developing in our world today and in our Congress and our Senate. It's just appalling when you when you think about the direction that our country is is gravitating towards. And uh, some of the things that I heard even today is just mind-boggling. Um, I, I was listening to um, someone today, and they were talking about how the church in these latter days are going to go through severe persecution. And for the stands and the convictions that we take and for the message that we preach, um, it's soon going to turn out to be a three-ring circus. And in this in this time of freedom when we have uh, yet to be mandated of what uh, to do and not to do, I heard someone say today in this uh, transgender world that we are escalating towards an end. And uh, I heard one of our United States congressmen ask a a particular person today who was uh, trying to voice their opinion and support for these things. Uh, He, in fact, um, I think it was uh, Senator John Kennedy out of uh, Kentucky or Mississippi, I'm not sure which one, but he put the question to the the person like this because he said, so when, when girls who have trained all of their life to participate in a particular woman's sport, especially in Olympics. His question was coming from the perspective, are you saying that any male who just says he's a girl is allowed to show up and participate in these women's sports And he's saying, for clarification, are you telling me that it's going to be okay for a male to do that? For example, they gave the weight limit. You know these Olympian weightlifters. They say that a record press for a man is somewhere around 1,300 pounds. And for a woman in that category, it was about 600 pounds. So you take a woman that has trained, a young girl that has trained all of her life, trying to be an Olympian or try to earn a scholarship for college. And she's trained all of her life in women's sports, hoping to get a scholarship in college and all of these things. And then all of a sudden, some dude shows up and says, you know what? I'm a woman. And it's going to go out there and compete against her. And when they're 
is no real level of competition and something that she's worked for all of her life has just completely shot down the drain. And his question was this, how can that be an equality situation for a woman? But then he carried it a little farther than that because this was an attack on religious freedom and religious speech, which is coming down the highway like an 18-wheeler with no brakes. And he said, so you tell me in a situation like that, a guy just wake up, he wakes up one morning and says, I, I want to be a woman. And he, he's, he's had no surgeries and no chemicals and no hormones. He's, he's just going to say, I'm a girl. And he's going to walk out there and compete against this young lady in her track and field or weightlifting or whatever it is she does. And then he said this, and are you telling me that that same guy can go right into the lady's locker room and take a shower with that girl? And the spokesperson said, that's exactly what I'm telling you. So you tell me how insane this is, but it gets even worse than that. Because it's coming down the road where it will be against the law to even preach, to even say what I just said. So I'm telling you, in the last of the last days, which we are, we're going to see the church persecuted like we have never seen it persecuted before. And I hope and pray that Christians will crawl out of the woodwork and take a stand for the faith we cannot be the silent minority. We have got to be the trumpet of God. And so the church is going to find persecution in the last days, but probably one of the things that we will become slack in, and which we have, and I have witnessed it for a long time, and because we're talking about finding God's will. You find it by praying. You find it by studying and searching the word. But number three, and this is where we get really complacent, and that is prompt and unquestioning obedience. Saul, when he was going down the road of Damascus and he was persecuting Christians, that's what his goal was. That's what the mission he was on, to persecute Christians, to bring them back to Jerusalem and to to persecute them, to, to burn them at the stake. You remember the word of God says that when Stephen was stoned to death, the Bible says that he laid his clothes down at the feet of Saul of Tarsus. Saul was participating in the stoning of Stephen. But the persecution of the church, that's what his mission was all about. But when he was on the Damascus road with search warrants and letters of arrest warrants, I guess you would call them, in his saddlebags, you remember he was on the road to Damascus and the bright light came down from heaven. The word of God says it knocked him off of his horse. The light blinded his eyes. And in a matter of moments, Jesus began to speak to him audibly. And he said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And in a matter of moments, Saul turned his attention and his focus and direction. And he asked this question. Lord, what will thou have me to do? What is it, God, that you want me to do? What do you want me to do with my life? And so maybe you're searching for God's will for your life. You're trying to figure it out. What is it that God wants you to do? Very specifically, you can remember it will not be unreasonable. I I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God that you present yourselves 
holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. God will never give us anything unreasonable to do because his grace will never lead you where he cannot keep you. And so the third thing that I want to share with you is to have prompt and unquestioning obedience and say, Lord, if there is something you want me to do very specifically, I pray that you would lay this on my heart. And then number four, when you're searching and seeking God's will for your life, you've got to have complete and implicit trust. You've got to learn to trust him. I like that old song that says, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." But then after I moved past those four very simple things, I begin to bring you to the introduction of probably one of the most neglected, but one of the most valuable aspects of seeking God's will for your life, and that's through the area of fasting. And I want to say a little bit about that, and I want you to understand that fasting is not just simply depriving yourself of nourishment. When, when you consider fasting, there's, we're going to see the whole dynamic of this. You will see how valuable it is, how much of a resource it is, but how much of a discipline it is as well. I don't know, maybe some of you have fasted in your life before. You know a little bit about that, that you really get in touch with God when you fast. And you begin fasting by confessing all of your known sins to him. You enter a fast as much as humanly possible to be right with God. Whatever's wrong, get it right. And then here's where we pick up with some things that I might not have shared with you last Wednesday night. You have to be physically able to do it. Not everybody is physically able to fast. For example, if you have diabetes, you're not likely to be a candidate of fasting unless you're going to pray to be healed from that, but you never should stop taking your medicine and talking with your doctor. Again, you should determine how long your fast will be before you get into it, and it needs to be reasonable, and I'm talking about a day or two, and we'll talk more about that uh, later on. You, you cannot enter a fast with the idea to lose weight. However, that is going to happen. But if you say that I'm going, I, I want to hear from heaven, I want to hear from God, I want God to show me what it is that he wants me to do with my life, and I'm going to fast. And I'm going to fast because I want to lose weight. You're not going to get it. You're going to miss the point. That's not the reason to enter into a fast. When you enter a fast, you use really only water or unsweetened fruit juice of some sort. When you enter a fast and you begin to be hungry, and I have led the church in a fast before. I can remember uh, when we have had 24-hour prayer meetings where we have started a prayer meeting session at this altar where we've come in two by two every hour on the hour for 24 hours. And we were praying for somebody to be healed, for somebody to be delivered, for God to raise somebody up during the time of 9-11, those kind of things. I have led the church in church-wide fast. 
And when, when you are in a fast, when you feel those hunger pains, that's when you intently pray. Because fasting is a time of prayer and searching for God's word. And then another thing for your fast, if you're fasting personally, and it's not in a church collective wide type of a fast, then the best way to get an answer to what you're looking for is to not advertise your fast. Don't tell people, I'm fasting. Don't boast about that. Make it personal. And you have to be careful when you're coming out of a fast. And so ultimately you have to expect results. Now, having said all of that, I want to give you some what I believe is some real good teaching on this and you're watching at home maybe and you've never fasted. Maybe this is a subject that's never interested you. You've never had an interest in fasting. It's an element of our our Bible and we ought to be familiar with a little bit of everything. Even if we don't understand it all, we, we should have a desire to look into God's word and see what the word says about it. And so I'm going to give you several, because there are different types of fasts. You you fast for different reasons. And I'm going to bring those to your attention as well. That's why I hope that you have a lot of uh, room to write and you have a pen and paper and you're ready to look into God's word. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Old Testament. And I want you to look with me in the book of Joel. Joel, Amos, Obadiah, you know the scriptures. Look in the book of Joel, and I want to read for you tonight an interesting passage of Scripture, and I would say probably you do not frequent the book of Joel too often. It's a powerful book, and I would encourage you to read it. But I'm going to read for you in Joel chapter 2, and I want you to look with me beginning in verse number 12. I'm going to read for you verses 12 through 15. And the word says, Therefore also now saith the Lord, Turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning and rend your heart, not your garments, And turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. Who knoweth if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast. Call a solemn assembly. You'd be surprised at what people do other than biblical approach to try to get God's attention or to hear from heaven. I've been doing some research and studying apart from Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings and just uh, filling my soul, filling my heart. I've been doing some studying apart from all of that into various denominations and what they believe and why they believe it and so forth. And I came across 
a pretty wild and bizarre group of folks. You've probably heard of these kind of people before, but uh, they are in the practice, and they do this because they believe that it's God's will. They do it because they want to hear from heaven. They want to hear from God. And that's uh, a group of people, predominantly they're in Kentucky and Mississippi and West Virginia, who handle snakes. Have you ever heard of that? Snake handling people. I've been doing, uh, in some of my studies, I came across this particular breed of folks and trying to see what it is that motivates them to do what they do. And in my study, I came across this particular clan of people, and this is what they believe. Uh, They believe that if they handle snakes, rattlesnakes, and they bring them into the church house, they put them in boxes, and uh, they get themselves worked up in a frenzy. And uh, somebody, predominantly it's the pastor, reaches down in the box and he picks out a rattlesnake and he begins to handle it and, and, and twist and turn and do all kinds of stuff. I saw in my research one particular church who did all three of these things. They, at the first 30 minutes, they handled the snakes. Then, then the, the guy, he sets a bottle of poison on the pulpit and he takes a little paper cup, he pours the poison there, he drank the poison. And then he took uh, a little, like, it's not a blowtorch, but he lit it and it was sort of like a, a uh, fuel-perpetuated flame. And they would hold it under their neck and they were dancing all in the church and working themselves up in a frenzy. And they were trying to hear from God trying to do God's will. And it sort of reminded me when I looked at that, that these were acting, these people were acting like they were demon possessed, like they were calling out to the prophets of Baal. I'm telling you, you don't have to do that kind of thing to hear from heaven. None of that is of God. God, You know, somebody asked me, where do people even get that from? Well, they take the word of God out out of context. You remember when the Apostle Paul was shipwrecked and he was on the island of Miletus and he was gathering wood for the fire and he reached his hand into the wood pile and a viper bit him on the hand. He didn't die from that. And so from that one incident, people have built an entire denomination on it and has used that incident as a way to provoke God. I'm telling you this, if you start playing with snakes, it ought to bite you. It ought to bite you. None of that is of God. You, you, you don't find God's will by playing with snakes. Now, I've handled a few of them before in my life, but they never crawled on their belly. They walked on two legs. <laughs> but listen, you, you don't handle snakes. You don't drink poison. You don't put fire under your neck. You just don't do that. But I will tell you this, if you really want to get in touch with God, you really want to know his will. Let me ask you to consider fasting. Because in this precious passage of scripture, the word of God, the prophet admonished us to do that. Now, when you understand the ministry of fasting, I want you to know that in this particular scripture, God is calling upon the nation of Israel to repent. He was tired of their outward motions. You know, we can serve God all day long with the outward. And these people that I just mentioned doing these crazy things, all of that is for the outward. 
God's not praised in that way. God's not getting glory in those kind of things. They're provoking God. And so God in the nation of Israel, he was tired of all of their outward motions of repentance. He knew it was false. He knew it wasn't real. God wanted Israel to repent from their heart, not by a lot of showmanship type of thing. And so the prophet Joel, he began the task of warning Israel. He said, you better repent and it ought to come from your heart. He said, there is coming a judgment on the land. And he was saying, you better take God serious. Don't just put on a show, a front, on the outward. This needs to come from the depth of your heart and your soul. And so the prophet began to ask the entire nation, everybody, from the elders down to the children. If you look at this passage of scripture and reread it with that thought in your mind, from the elders to the, to the children, from the newlyweds to the elderly, He said, you need to come together, you need to assemble, and you need to fast. Now, listen carefully. I do believe, and I've said this before, that praying is probably one of the greatest resources that we have as human beings on the planet. But when we add fasting to praying, we increase that dimension. We begin to walk in the thickness of of God's supernatural and divine power. It's like Jesus came to give life, but not only life. He came to give abundant life. And there's a difference between praying and praying and fasting. And so I want us to learn a little bit about fasting and what can come out of it. There are nine specific things that can come out of fasting. And I'm going to share them with you in the time that we have remaining tonight. We may not be able to get through all of them, But again, nine specific things that God says he will do in a fast. And you can count on this. This is God's work. God said, I will do this. When you fast, I will do this. We find the answer to that in Isaiah. So I'd like for you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 58. And I want you to look at this very carefully with me. I'm going to try to read it slow enough so that you can not only read it with me, but that you can digest some of it. And I'm going to go back and break it down in the next nine minutes as God would give me opportunity. Isaiah chapter 58, and I want to read for you verses 1 through 8. Nine specific things that God will do in a fast. Beginning in verse 1, Isaiah 58. Cry aloud and spare not. Lift up thy voice like a trumpet and show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and forsook not the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice They take delight in approaching to God. Wherefore have we fasted, say they, and thou seest not? Wherefore have we afflicted our soul, and thou takest no knowledge? Behold, in the day of your fast, ye find pleasure and exact all your labors. 
Behold your fast for strife and debate and to smite with the fist of wickedness. Ye shall not fast as you do this day to make your voice to be heard on high. Is it such a fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Thou call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that ye break every yoke. Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house? When thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh, then shall the light break forth as the morning and thine health shall spring forth speedily. And thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy reward. And so I want you to look at these nine things very specifically, and they begin in verse number six, and I want you to follow me very carefully. God says, I will do these specific things if you fast. Number one, in verse six, he said, I will loose the bands of wickedness. Number two, he said, I will undo heavy burdens. Have you ever heard that song that says, are you weary? Are you heavy laden? Tell it to Jesus, tell it to Jesus. Are you familiar with the scripture where Jesus said, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy burdened and I will give you rest. And so if you are carrying around heavy burdens, you're burdened about something. It almost oppresses you. There is a fast to get victory over heavy burdens. There is a fast to loose the bands of sin and wickedness. Number three, there is a fast to let the oppressed go free. Maybe there's something holding you or a loved one in some type of bondage. Number four, he said, I will break every yoke. Number five, he said, I will give bread. He said, when you fast, you will have spiritual victory in your life to give bread to the hungry and to provide to the poor with housing and necessities. And then he says this in the next part of it. Number six, to allow the light of people to break forth like the morning. But number seven in this list of nine, there's no doubt pertains to 90% of the people in here tonight and about 95% of the people who are watching tonight by internet. And listen, there is a fast to cause their health to spring forth speedily. That's important to a lot of people. Number eight, that he will cause the righteous to go forth before them. And number nine, 
that he will cause the glory of the Lord to be their reward. So there are nine specific things that God will do through this spiritual adventure of fasting. God has promised to do some pretty incredible things through it. And maybe you're hearing about it for the very first time. Maybe you've, you, you've never fasted. You have never tried that. But I want you to know that fasting is a spiritual and physical exercise of discipline that directs our total attention to God. I want to say that one more time and we'll close with this point tonight. Fasting is a spiritual and physical exercise. Exercise of discipline to direct our total attention to God. That's the purpose. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.